Hello, my friends. It's the last day here in Switzerland at the World Economic Forum in Davos. The streets are thinning out. The VVIPs are taking their private jets home. But there's still stories to tell. And I want to tell you them. And I want to show you some of the interviews we've managed to get in the last 24 hours. That's why I want you to get a video subscription to this podcast. Just go to rebelnewsplus.com. It's eight bucks a month. You get the video content. And importantly, that eight bucks help us pay the bills. Because as you know, we take no government money and we've been demonetized. That's rebelnewsplus.com. Thanks. Tonight, while we've been in Davos for a week for the World Economic Forum, we'll look back on the most important videos we recorded. It's January 19th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Shame on you, you censorious bug. It's snowing very gently here in Davos, but it's still quite comfortable. This is the town where Klaus Schwab and his World Economic Forum take over, and I really mean take over every aspect of this town for one week a year. The other 51 weeks, it's a gorgeous mountain getaway. I don't know if you can see behind me um, a gondola. There are gondolas all over the place on the train ride in from the town. We're staying in closters. We saw people cross-country skiing. On the trains, they have ski racks on the trains because there's so many people skiing. I joked with our videographer, Lincoln, that they come to ski, we come to slay. A little bit of a pun there, not very funny. Um, in fact, the place we're staying is sort of a ski chalet or, or cabin by someone who lives in Zurich. And he comes up here every weekend with his family, but this one week a year, he rents it out because there's such an enormous demand for people to stay here. It makes it difficult for independent journalists to come and cover it, which is why we have to crowdfund it. And for that, I'm really thankful to you for chipping in to cover our costs. I want to walk down the promenade slowly and talk to you about the week we've had and, um, and the things that I think we've seen and learned. This is my second visit uh, to Davos. Uh, our team has come uh, a time before that, Avi Yamini and, and other journalists, and I think we're getting the hang of it a little bit. We applied for accreditation this year for the first time. Um, that is, I wrote a letter to the uh, World Economic Forum, and I said, look, we're going to be here anyways. Why don't you let us come in and, and frankly talk to us? Even if you're just sending a spin doctor, why don't you tell us if we got our facts wrong? Why don't you bring other information to our attention to round out our story. Our motto is telling the other side of the story, and generally that makes us critics and contrarians, but that doesn't mean we don't occasionally get it wrong, and maybe there's another side to the other side of the story. Maybe there's a third side to the story. But they didn't even reply. And um, I think that's part of the mindset here. It reminds me of when a citizen journalist from Japan who told us she was inspired by our work, her name is Masako, lovely young lady. She camped outside a restaurant where Klaus Schwab was having dinner last year. She waited for hours in the cold and snow and he came out and she called out to him and he responded and she had a question for him. And you know what his first reply was? What outlet are you with? And when she said... I'm independent. He's, he's sort of, ha, a peasant. He didn't quite use that word, but it, that was uh, what his body language said, and he walked away. In other words, his accountability, his responsibility to the world, his requirement to answer questions about public in interest matters, in his mind, turned on the status, the class, and perhaps even the wealth of the question asker. If Masako had actually been a fancy uh, working for CNN or the Wall Street Journal or one of the other regime journalists who pay to play. Uh, in fact, maybe that's what it was. Maybe it wasn't even that she was a peasant. Maybe it's that she didn't pay Klaus Schwab. Understand that every single company here, every single media company that's on the inside, they paid to be here. The World Economic Forum is not a charity. The World Economic Forum is not a government NGO or something. It is a for-profit organization cooked up by Klaus Schwab, who sounds and looks like a supervillain, 
and I swear to God, it, it's almost too unbelievable. If it was a Hollywood movie script, people wouldn't believe it because it's so unbelievable. His father was a Nazi industrialist, a factory manager, who went to Germany to help Hitler's war effort. He, he went to Germany to run a factory. And Klaus Schwab himself obviously learned from his father. Klaus Schwab was uh, affiliated with the CIA. Like you could, If you were to write this script, a Hollywood agent would say, it's too on the nose. You can't have a supervillain looking guy with a German accent who dresses sometimes like a space alien whose father was a Nazi. No one will believe you. It's just too far. That is the truth. And, and one of the things I tell our team at Rebel News about conspiracy theories, because there's all sorts of crazy ideas out on the net. And once in a while, a conspiracy theory turns out to be true, by the way. Jeffrey Epstein is an example of that. Harvey Weinstein is an example of that. But I say to my team, there's so many insane things just lying out there, unreported, that we don't even have to dig hard for. Um, no need to indulge in conspiracy theories. The world is crazy enough. And that's my approach to the World Economic Forum. What this supervillain Klaus Schwab says, and what the other oligarchs he meets with say, is so outlandish and so dangerous. Simply reporting the truth is shocking enough. And, um, and I think that has been proven this last week. We've been here uh, in Davos, Switzerland. Um, I, I should just point out as we walk around here now how things are shutting down. There, were, there are some final panel discussions and final events, but you can see the streets are very empty by comparison. Um, some of the Potemkin Village movie sets are being stripped down and shut down. Uh, the town will revert to its normal state. Nature is healing. The skiers are taking the places of the politicians and the lobbyists and the bureaucrats. For the past week, these cars would have been ticketed and towed. Police would have swarmed them uh, because this entire promenade, this is the downtown strip in Davos. They call it the promenade. It was completely taken over. Um, I could see some people lingering. There's the Kurdish house. I never did get a chance to step into the Kurdish house and have a, have a cup of tea. I would have liked to. I, I regard myself a, as a fan of the Kurds. I went to Kurdistan a few years ago. That's an unlucky country that I think is, well, it's a, it's a proto-country. They want independence from Iraq and from Turkey, neither of which wants to give it to them. There are some people who come here, like the Kurds, obviously, that are trying to win international support for their causes. I'm not sure how they did. I would have liked to pop in. Um, but enough about the physical plant and, the, and what's on the ground here in Davos. I want to refer to the work we did. Like I said at the, at the beginning of my monologue, <laughs> Who's that? Look at that! <laughs> the Colombian delegation is still working. They're dancing in the window. I'm so glad they're here. And uh, I wish there were more people on the street to enjoy their Colombian dancing. I, I didn't have a chance to pop in to the Colombian pavilion, but they're doing a great job. And they're, look at that energy. Look at that energy. Viva Colombia is what I got to say. That's lovely. That's absolutely lovely. Listen, there's entertainment here for sure. I don't know if you know, if you saw our video, but we bumped into Will I Am, and, and that may, name might not mean things to people over the age of sixty, but uh, he was the mastermind behind a very popular band twenty years ago called the Black Eyed Peas. Here's a little taste of the Black Eyed Peas. Let's do it, let's do it, cause I got a feeling. 
So Will I Am is a WEF guy. And that always makes me a little nervous because I know guys like Bono of U2 are always hanging out at the World Economic Forum. And I, and I really wonder, are they just trying to appear more thoughtful and important than they are? Or are they genuinely thoughtful people who want to fix the world? I want to show you an excerpt from when uh, Will I Am uh, talked at some length with um, my colleague Avi Amini. I thought it was actually a pretty thoughtful conversation. I won't show you the whole thing. You can see the whole video at wefreports.com. But here's Will I Am talking about freedom and philosophy with Avi Amini. I I was impressed. But I feel like this. I feel like the World Economic Forum is not really about love. It's more about control. Well, I'm at Davos, <laughs> and I'm looking for mentors for my students because I have a program teaching kids computer science and robotics so that when they graduate college, they can fill jobs or create jobs. How long now, have you been doing that for? For, for? for 12 years. Now, if you want to come mentor our kids, if you're about that, about that, then please feel free to come help inspire our kids to be journalists. Do that. Put your, you know, put your heart where your freaking, where your mind is and, and your passion is. I think that's nice, but I get fearful when I see, you know, some of the most elite people and, don't and people. Be, don't be fearful. What is your contribution to make the world better? Yeah, my, my contribution is under threat because it's of the WEF and because no, of the e-safety commission and those that want to control our speech. They no, tell no. me that what I say might be misinformation because it goes against their narrative. On so a platform that's not, that doesn't have t uh, any types of. Uh, methods to ensure what's truth from false. So you can't you can't take that truth away. That that's true. What do you mean? We have we have a system where you could put anything and everybody would believe anything. That's that's factual. Yeah, but so the government they want the government to say to, to knock things off that they say is not true. Whereas Elon Musk has put, implemented a system called community notes, which it means that the entire world puts their own response, says that is true, that is untrue because, and people voted up and voted down. Yeah, As know. opposed to the government turning around and, 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 and putting their money behind fact checkers, so activists, they're activists who are hired to a small group to say, no, hold on, that's misinformation. So COVID was a great example. During COVID, when we were talking about the um, the, the, the vaccines and whether the, the spread of the, uh, whether it stopped the spread, whether it minimized the spread, anybody who questioned that narrative at first were kicked off most social media platforms at the time. Hold on, yeah, yeah, yeah. at the time, right? That's why. Uh, okay, so so that piece of information that we weren't allowed to discuss in open space because people like in the WEF were saying that the government should control. How's that? How? Do, that's why I'm saying to you that, that that's under a threat. Do you think that that's okay? No, not at all. Not at all. Not, not, not at all. So, so you, 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 so could you take that message in there that you think that people should have the freedom to express themselves on social media, even if the government deems it false? Yeah. So, I have um, the things that I'm that I'm passionate about, where I go and, uh, and my viewpoint. And my viewpoint is, we did not get Web 2.0 right. Social media was not executed properly. Um, I do believe in freedom of speech and freedom of expression, and no one's account should be uh, undone because they're doing their version of freedom of speech. So it's not all evil supervillains like Klaus Schwab and Larry Fink. You do have fun stuff like those Colombian dancers and entertainment. I mean, listen, all these VVIPs in town, they'd like to have fun too. I mean, the restaurants and the hotels around here really are luxurious. Like I say, it's a ski chalet. I mean, th this is just an example of, um, of what this place is focused on most of the time, skiing and having fun. So no wonder the supervillains like to come here and have that lifestyle. Anyways, uh, I want to talk about the style of journalism we do for a moment, if I may. Because we're often denied accreditation, we're denied access to places, because of our populist, grassroots, conservative approach, it makes it difficult for us to cover the news in a direct way. And, and here's what I mean by that. Um, politicians give speeches and they publish those speeches these days online and they send out press releases. And you can cover a speech like a stenographer. You can just take a video of the speech that was produced by the politician and you can post it with some commentary. But, and and there, there is some use to that. You can critique it and you can post questions about it. But if you actually go to the speech 
and ask a perhaps a more prickly question to the politician directly and get an unscripted answer, that's a higher level of journalism or a more important way to do journalism than just being really a stay-in-your-office stenographer. And, and that issue came alive about a week ago when our friend David Menzies was arrested for trying to ask a real question to Christy Freeland outside a vigil for the victims of an Iranian terrorist group shooting down a commercial jetliner that killed more than 50 Canadians. So David actually physically went there, waited for Christia Freeland to arrive, and then put a very simple question to her, why have you not banned this Iran terrorist group? And frankly, how dare you come to this vigil for the victims of that? And she had him arrested. He put two questions to her. I, I received, I think I told you this before, I got an email from Shannon Proudfoot of the Global Mail who said, I don't think that's real journalism. And I just thought, who the hell are you? You sit in your, probably work from home. Um, David did, did the real work on the ground, waiting for hours, putting a legitimate question to a deputy prime minister and you got roughed up and arrested for it. And you have the audacity, the chutzpah to say, you're a real journalist, but he's not. I'm not denying that opinion journalism is journalism. But don't tell me that what David did was not as important or more important. In fact, it was the grist for the mill. Uh, what David did gave a hundred journalists something to talk about, but he was the primary actor there. So coming here to Davos is our way to, to get, to get uh, personal contact with the world's oligarchs, the most powerful people in the world. And some of them who either by virtue of personality or their confidence in their subject matter, or for whatever reason, have absolutely no problem walking and talking with us. Let me give you my, I guess the, the best example from the past week. I actually bumped into, uh, he's retired now, but a few years back, he was the big boss at the United Nations itself. Like the head honcho of the Security Council. I can't believe it. I just walked up to him and I, I asked him what, what I thought was sort of a provocative question. I said, which is more powerful, the UN or the World Economic Forum? Can I play this video for you? It was a lovely walk and talk. And it shows that you don't have to be a, a scared of questions from Rebel News, even though so many are. Here's, I think, the gentlest and friendliest conversation I had all week. Take a look. Hi. It's nice to see you here. Are you enjoying the World Economic Forum? Of course, always. Which is more powerful, the United Nations or the World Economic Forum? Well, these are two different baskets. I can't say the uh, United Nations is less uh, powerful than the World Economic Forum. <laughs> Who is richer, the World Economic Forum or the United Nations? Well, UN is here also. I mean. UN is contributing to the world. That it, it's well, a partnership, it isn't it? Of course it is, it is. Here's a question for you. Can I ask you a tough question? Which is more democratic, the UN or the World Economic Forum? Well, UN, I was the president of the General Assembly. I know. It's the, uh, I think, the largest uh, democratic platform in the world where every country is represented. World Economic Forum is, of course, in its capacity for many years, is also showing this democratic and uh, giving uh, space to every country in the world uh, uh, standards. And I think we shouldn't compare the two. They are helping each other. And this combination is helping the world peace and stability. Now, you could say that I wasn't very attacky. But listen, I really wanted to hear what he had to say. And he was saying interesting things from an interesting perspective. And... I think the reason that we have sometimes a, uh, a high-energy inter interrogatory style is because the person we're talking to is either running away, refusing to answer anything, or um, is extremely defensive. But let me show you what I think was the most surprising interview of the week, because it's a person who you would think would be defensive, evasive, maybe even abusive. I'm talking about the former Bank of Canada governor, who then went on to be the Bank of England governor, which is an unusual move. Uh, and he is currently a special envoy with the United Nations for global warming. And he is frequently listed 
as a likely contender to succeed Justin Trudeau's the leader of the Liberal Party. I'm talking about Mark Carney, who I would put in the top two or three names who would throw their hat in the ring if and when Trudeau falls. Christia Freeland being the uh, the other name, and, and perhaps uh, Philippe Champagne, Francois-Philippe Champagne. So, so my point is, I was talking to Mark Carney, who Avi Amini has spoken to a couple times, and I arrived, and I'm, you know, Avi's an Australian, and I don't think Mark Carney as a Canadian with Canadian ambitions would be too worried about Avi, no disrespect to Avi, but Avi's not as well-known in Canada as, as I am. Avi's focus is Australia. So when I started putting questions to um, Mark Carney, he didn't run away. He didn't say, I'm not talking to you. In fact, he answered in a calmer manner than my questions were put. It actually sort of calmed me down a bit. Let me show you what Mark Carney said. This was the most surprising interview of the week. Mark Carney, special envoy for the United Nations and perhaps future candidate for the leader of the Liberal Party of Canada. Take a look. Justin Trudeau is struggling in the polls there. Um, what would your, what would your, I guess, advice be to Trudeau? Because you've got an election coming at least in the next couple of years. It's very good of you to follow Canadian politics that close. You guys are buddies. Talk to a Canuck. Talk to, I'm great, nice to see you. But seriously, he needs help. He's down 20 points. He has a gender gap. Women are choosing conservatives more than liberals. I don't remember the last time that happened. What advice would you have with the, for the youngster? The, uh, going to a central banker for uh, political advice is never a good idea. Come on, we know that you're in the line. Uh, you know, I heard you succession. had a meeting the other day with uh, the prime minister in Ottawa. Is that correct? Uh, I see the prime minister from time to time. I in what capacity, may I ask? Uh, I Well, uh, I do a lot of work on uh, climate, as you know. Uh, Sure, big fan of that. Uh, do, you ever, do you ever register as a lobbyist or is it just friendship? Sorry, I don't... When, I you meet with the, when you meet with the PM on climate, are you there on your own behalf or are you there on behalf of a, a company well, lobby? I um, am the UN Special Envoy on uh, Climate Action and Finance. So. And what do you make? It's a bitter cold in, in Canada, down to minus 40s. Yeah, back home in Alberta, it was and, minus 40. Uh, and Gilboa for, is saying uh, go to electric cars. That doesn't work. In for a week. Well, you've got to have... Watch out. You've got to have the full, uh, you've got to have full capacity, right? And you've got to have, um, you've got to, you know, one of the things we're going to need to do uh, in Canada, across Canada, um, and this is, you know, for the benefit of jobs in the country is, is build out the grid. You can't switch before you build it out, number one. Number two, one of the things you need, regardless of the form of energy you have, uh, we have, is, um, is also to have what's called a capacity market alongside uh, the electricity market. So you think that Gilboa's plan is a little bit hasty since we haven't done those foundational things? Well, I think what's important is that, you know, whether it's uh, in Alberta, Ontario, Canada, Australia, for that matter, uh, is that you have to, yeah, you have to build. You have to build. And it's, uh, it's a time to build. And look, we're in a position uh, where we in Canada are in a position where we have been an energy superpower. We can continue to be an energy superpower. We've always, uh, we've always had um, uh, the ability to develop new sources of energy. But the PM and said there was no market for natural gas. How do you feel about natural gas, especially to relieve Ukraine and other Europeans from Russian gas? How come they are buying Russian gas and Qatari gas, but Justin Trudeau won't let them buy Canadian gas? Well, we would have to get uh, to build the, the trains in order to do the what uh, called LNG trains in order to get the gas to them. But God, this is a long interview, isn't it? I'm enjoying it, and I'm, and I'm doing my best to be well, fair and friendly. Was, you're, you're, if this, if this, was, no, if this the, was Canada, you could have him arrested. Uh, did your, you see that? Your rival, Christian Freeland, had one of our reporters arrested. I don't think she did. I think well, she didn't uh, say a word against it. Um, on the incident, um, as you guys know very well, Canada is a rule of law country. Canada is a democracy. Operational decisions about law enforcement are taken by the police of jurisdiction. Quite appropriately, 
political elected officials have no role in the taking of those decisions. And that's why I don't have any further comment. It was the wrong thing. It was absolutely the wrong thing. Well, thank you for saying that. I will Look, freedom of the press. I look. I've uh, what been a I've been a public figure in Canada. Been a public figure in the UK. I know you got to answer tough questions, and you guys, you know, you ask tough questions, and that's fair. Well, I want to thank you for saying that because I have to say, Christian Freeland has not yet said anything uh, in the in the vein that you have. She's been happy to let the cops do her work for her, and if she disagrees with the cops, she hasn't said so. Well, uh, I said what I said. So. But look, the questions you were asking earlier about uh, energy, and I'm going to have to. Right, well, thanks for your time. I really yeah, appreciate it. Uh, important, and I appreciate keeping. Mark, <laughs> Mark, 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 come on. I, I feel Abby, like until, he, until he next year. Until next. <laughs> no, no, no. Take care. Thank you. Well, what do you think of that? Uh, I don't want to be dazzled by a man's charm. What's important is substance. But the fact that he was a willing to talk to Rebel News and B, willing to say two interesting substantive statements. I have to give the guy credit for that. <clears throat> One of the interesting substantive statements was that he disagrees with the arrest of our colleague David Menzies. Now, how hard is that to say? <clears throat> you don't have to be a Rebel News subscriber. You don't have to be a conservative to like the fact that freedom of the press applies to everybody and to be offended by police arresting and actually assaulting a journalist. You don't have to like David Menzies to support his freedom of the press. And I think Mark Carney understands that. Maybe it's because he's not as immersed in the Ottawa groupthink or maybe because he realizes that the Liberal Party of Canada has gone the wrong way on freedom of the press. But wouldn't you agree with me that that is the most pro-freedom of the press thing you've heard from a Liberal in all of Canada? Certainly felt that way to me. And the second thing he said was a phrase that I haven't heard since Stephen Harper was prime minister, which is to call Canada an energy superpower. Did you hear him say that? And I said, well, I mean, it's, we started talking about how bloody cold it is in Canada, especially in Western Canada. And I asked him, well, Stephen Gilbeau, the environment minister, wants us all to have electric vehicles in a few years. Electric vehicles don't exactly do very well when it's minus 30, minus 40. And in any event, I don't know if the grid is strong enough to handle that. I didn't add, add that last part. He did. And he said, well, we have to build those things up first. So those are two important things he said. Energy superpower, and we can't rush to an electric grid. And then his support for freedom of the press. That's a surprising statement. Now, listen, I'm not foolish enough to think he's a conservative. He plans to run for the Liberal Party. But maybe he's not as nuts and ideological as the current crew. So I thought that was an interesting interview. There were a couple of non-interviews that I had that, again, were revealing. I showed you my non-interview with the president of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. And by non-interview, I mean, I put the questions, but not a word in reply. Here's just a quick reminder of that. I won't play the whole thing because it's about eight minutes. You can find the whole thing at WEF Reports. But remember... When I walked with the head of the Melinda, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation for eight minutes, take a look just to refresh your memory. Can I ask you a few questions about the foundation? No, unfortunately, uh, I'm running late for something. Well, I'll walk with you. Uh, no, one of the criticisms is Bill Gates is sort of a master of the universe, but he's not elected at all. But, but he exerts a lot of power. How do you feel about that? Isn't it a little undemocratic? Is Melinda still involved at the foundation even after the divorce? But I did not like uh, that he'd had meetings with Jeffrey Epstein. How many times did Bill Gates actually visit Epstein? I've seen estimates that it was in the dozens. Is that true? Why is it that Bill Gates is out free when others who were involved with Epstein are being prosecuted, like even Prince Andrew's in trouble? How did Bill Gates manage to escape? What was Bill Gates' involvement in the simulation for a worldwide pandemic just months before COVID-19? Has he ever explained that? I was at a, a pavilion called We Lead. It was a women's rights organization in India. They said that the Bill Gates Foundation was a funder 
What are you doing poking around India like that? What's Bill Gates' ambition in India? So we had a lot of those non-interview interviews. One of them was with the boss of MIT. You know what MIT stands for, right? The Massachusetts Institute of Technology. And my whole life, I've thought that the MIT was the absolute highest, most prestigious, most accomplished, most competent, most meritorious science-oriented university in America. It was as prestigious as Harvard, but for the hard sciences. And like Harvard, they've recently been racked with crazy out of control anti-Semitism. And I don't just mean latent anti-Semitism. I mean Hamas-style hate marches, people calling for death to the Jews. The kind of thing that I don't think is being seen at MIT ever. I mean, really reminiscent of KKK-style chants for black lynchings. And so I asked him about anti-Semitism, and he dismissed it. <laughs> you know, he just was so um, dismissive and condescending in, one, in that first second. You know, that first reflexive response is a, a person's honest response before they sort of gather themselves and say, well, what's the right PR move? And I, and I walked with him for a bit, and he got angry that I dared to ask. Let me show you. I mean, it wasn't a very long non-interview, but here's how it looked. Does MIT have an anti-Semitism problem? No. no? Sure looks like it. Come on. Oh, are you just waving it off again? That's not the right approach these days, is it? Do you have a plagiarism problem? Why are you being so unresponsive? Don't you think you need to clear the air a bit? I mean, your first response to me, oh, come on, when I ask about anti-Semitism, isn't that what got you in this trouble in the first place, is you're being so dismissive of it? Would you say, oh, come on, if I said you had a racism problem against black people or a homophobia problem against gay people? Why are you so dismissive about anti-Semitism? Seems like MIT's learned nothing from the last two months. Sorry, thank you. Thank me for what? You haven't given me an answer. Don't follow me. Now, maybe that's the right approach. Maybe he doesn't have to talk to Rebel News. He's never heard of us before. Um, he's an American. He's uh, not a Canadian. He, his job as the boss of MIT is really to raise money for the university. And maybe there's nothing he could say that could possibly help his cause. But I'm not quite sure about that. I mean, why wouldn't he just say, we stand against hatred of all forms and the recent wave of anti-Semitism is appalling and MIT rededicates itself to, you know, civil liberties and uh, respect for all. Like that's so generic. How are you gonna hurt yourself by saying that? It'll just make you look less secretive and less defensive. I mean, he was Jewish himself. Why, surely it would be very easy for him to come up with language like that. And again, this isn't the first time he's been asked about that. There's some truth to the fact that we're scrumming him on the streets and maybe his head was in a different space. But I say again, it's absolutely legitimate journalism to go up to a person who's in the center of a public controversy, who's a public figure, who happens to be in a public place and ask him a public policy question. There's nothing we asked anyone up and down this street that is of a personal or private nature. We did not talk to anyone who was a private person. We did not go into any private place. And the subject matters we asked were of, of, of public interest. And by the way, I saw some criticism of when we had our scrum-style journalism with Richard Quest of CNN. I just want to play that three-minute exchange again because I had so much fun with it. Can I show you that again? I know I showed it to you before. Take a look at us scrumming CNN's Richard Quest, who I like. I like the guy. I find him likable. Take a take a look. I'd recognize that voice anywhere. How you I'm, doing? I'm sorry, not this morning. What are you sorry about? Well, I'm sorry that I can't stop to talk to you. Let's not stop. Let's talk and walk. We got 60 seconds. I got one question for you. I've been thinking about CNN and yourself especially. A lot of credibility. A lot of reputation. 
but how can you ask critical questions here if, uh, if you're paying to be here? Like CNN pays to be here, so how can you critically ask questions about the WEF? I always find it's best to be very careful when walking, talking and doing interviews, particularly in snowy conditions, because I think... Now you're avoiding the question, I think it's because you're embarrassed. I think it's always very important to Are understand... You? No, now we have two against one. We're, I'm not against you, mate. We're, we're all on the side of the truth. At least I am. I know you are, too. Now, Listen. let me ask you, do you ski? I have a better question that's more in the public interest. How can CNN report neutrally or objectively on the World Economic Forum if you're paying hundreds of thousands of dollars to be here? You're part of the insiders. When you say we are paying hundreds of thousands of dollars to be here. That's right. Precisely what do you mean? Well, um, to get access to the inside, CNN and the other regime media pay hundreds of thousands of the dollars. Other, sorry? Regime media. Excuse me? Regime, R-E-G-I-M-E. Excuse me? Yes. My God, do you know? You are, this is fascinating. You're not you, doing very well as an answerer. You're you good as an asker, but not as an answerer. more cameras to try and get me. I'm not trying to get you, mates. I'm trying to get an answer from you. It's different. My fundamental view on WEF? Yes. A lot of what happens here is a waste of time. A lot of it is far too expensive. But there is real value in people coming together at the beginning of the year to see where they stand on controversial or political... With no democratic oversight, no opposition party, and no independent journalists. It is a crypto oh, no, government. It, it's on. a lobbyist festival. It's unregistered lobbyists. You get okay. away with things. Right. You have now transgressed. You have followed me for the last however many minutes. I've made it clear I didn't particularly want to be interviewed. I've given you some answers. Now will you let me proceed? Go You're ahead. You're be in your safe space. You're about to go past the gate. But why do you think, why do you think I, we don't get access but you do? I really love the fact, really love it, that you will take whatever I say in however I say it and manage to turn it either. We've learned from the master. Yeah, We've learned from you're the master. You're, CNN. Do, you're doing it now. And either turn it against me, or against CNN, or against anybody else that you deem to be unworthy of your approval. Well done, sir. Go with the masters of the universe. Go with your people. Go to, go to your people. Am, Those I'm are your people. I'm forward to seeing how you edit this. It'll be raw, my friend, uncut. Excellent. In which case, you will fully understand it's not particularly pleasant at half past nine in the morning to be ambushed by one, two, three, four, five people. Five. I don't even deploy that many people when I'm going to interview a president. You've got that many people in the makeup room alone. By the way, there was a short part two to that. I saw Richard Quest the next day, and I have to say, I think his feelings were a little bit hurt. I, I don't think he's ever been criticized before. That guy dishes it out every day. And uh, he didn't like to take it. I think he felt better when some people from India asked him for a selfie. I think that helped his self-esteem a little bit. And, you know, a lot of people enjoyed my interaction with Richard Quest because, you know, journalists dish it out, but they don't take it. And CNN really has a righteous indignation to them. But, uh, but I saw one PR expert online who said this is ambush journalism, it's not fair, and very rarely do you see it done to journalists themselves. He was sort of shocked and appalled by it. But um, I think that's BS. I think left-wing woke journalists do that kind of uh, ambush journalism all the time. I mean, think about Donald Trump. They had ambush-style journalism in the White House press gallery every day. By the way, Trump loved it. Trump would host our long scrums and for some reason i'll never understand he always went to cnn first especially jim acosta he loved to spar he loved to debate and that was completely normal when it was a republican politician taking the tough questions but i, I think that the media political industrial complex doesn't like it when it's people on the left um but let me show you the only instance I have seen of a mainstream media outlet that paid to be here at Davos doing our kind of scrum-style journalism on a politician of the left, a former Labour Prime Minister named Tony Blair. Here, take a look at this brief exchange. It involves a scandal 
in the United Kingdom involving the company Fujitsu. The details aren't that important. I just want to show you that ITV, which is a, a large broadcaster in the UK, their one time I've ever seen it scrummed Tony Blair. Take a look. Your government was considering ditching the Horizon IT project back in 1998. Do you regret not doing so? It is a good place to do it. Mr. Blair? You had the opportunity to kill the Fujitsu project. You chose not to. Why not? Do you regret that decision, Mr. Blair? Do you feel in any way responsible for what has happened since? Peter Mandelson, Mr. Blair, was worried about upsetting Fujitsu. Was that a concern that you had? Mr. Blair? Why won't you speak to us? This is an important issue, isn't it? Mr. Blair? <laughs> Gordon Brown spoke to us about this yesterday, Mr. Blair. Will you? And I show you that because that's absolutely fair journalism. Tony Blair, who has a hundred things to answer for, walking down the street at Davos is absolutely fair game. Uh, it's only when Rebel News does it to the uh, darlings of the globalist left that is considered controversial. Anyhow, we're walking down the streets and you can see things being torn down. It's sort of uh, like the, the morning after a wild party the night before. Let me leave you with one more video. Uh, I can't show you all of them. There's just literally too many to show. You can see all, I really want you to go to wefreports.com. I'd, I'd like you to see the totality of our work. Some of the interviews we did will probably only be able to get up uh, online Saturday, Sunday, even Monday, because we have such a backlog. Let me leave you with a video of someone we were not able to find, even though we looked for her. And I think that's some purpose. I think she was sort of hiding from us. And I'm talking about Christia Freeland herself, the woman who had David Menzies arrested and assaulted for asking impertinent questions. Christia Freeland, like I've told you before, is actually on the board of the World Economic Forum, which I think is a conflict of interest that in any... Hey, how are you? Oh, good, good. Thank you. You know, I believe it or not, um, there's a lot of people at, at to the World Economic Forum who have come up to us and saluted us. Um, obviously, some workers, some hotel staff, some other people uh, basically quote the servants to the oligarchs here. Everywhere we go, restaurants, a lot of the people on the street, for example, the kids handing out the newspapers, taxi drivers, a lot of the working class people here have regarded Rebel News as sort of their champions because they have to deal with these VVIPs and their outrageous demands. So it's fun to be in league with the working class people here. I really get a kick out of it. But there's also, like that guy seemed pretty fancy to me. I don't know exactly who he was. I saw him walking down the street before. Not everyone here is 100% in sync with Klaus Schwab's uh, ideological agenda. Uh, and, and people saw some of our interviews, not just this year, our, um, the, the video I did with the Bill and Melinda Gates guy, which had a million views overnight. But people even remember the interview we did with uh, Albert Bourla of uh, Pfizer last year. I mean, how can you forget it? Here's just a taste of that. Did you know that the vaccines didn't stop transmission? How long did you know that without saying it publicly? Thank you very much. I'm sorry. To that question. I mean, we, we now know that the vaccines didn't stop transmission, but why did you keep it secret? You said it was 100% effective, then 90%, then 80%, then 70%. But we now know that the vaccines do not trans stop transmission. Why did you keep that secret? Have a nice day. I won't have a nice day until I know the answer. Why did you keep it a secret that your vaccine did not stop transmission? Is it time to apologise to the world, sir, to give refunds back to the countries that poured all their money into your vaccine that doesn't work, your ineffective vaccine? Yeah, you have a little bit of rain. 
Are you not ashamed of what you've done in the last couple of years? Do you have any apologies to the public, sir? Are you proud of it? You've made millions on the backs of people's entire livelihoods. How does that feel to walk the streets as a millionaire on the backs of the regular person at home in Australia, in England, in Canada? What do you think about on your yacht, sir? What do you think about on your private jet? Are you worried about product liability? Are you worried about myocarditis? Anyway, so like I say, it's sort of been fun walking up and down the strip here and uh, in a way being the, under, the champion of the underdog. But let me close with what I was saying about Christia Freeland. She's on the board of the World Economic Forum. How can you be on the board, which means you have a, a duty of loyalty. If, you, if you're on the board of something, you have a fiduciary duty to look up for their interests. You have to put them first. How can you put the World Economic Forum first if your duty as a cabinet minister is to put Canada first? Sometimes there might not be a conflict between the two, but other times there absolutely is. And we also know that Christian Freeland does dirty deals here. She's given hundreds of millions of dollars in untendered contracts to her friends, including at McKinsey, that VVIP consulting firm. I thought we would bump into her on the street because she likes to walk on the street, but I think she uh, was being kept off the streets and just squired around in some of these vans with dark glass windows because I think she knew that we were looking for her, especially since her debacle back in Canada, having David arrested. But she gave an outrageous speech where she boasted about her plans to decarbonize Canada. What does that mean to decarbonize Canada? Carbon is an element in the periodical table. You can no more decarbonize the world than you can take nitrogen from the air. It's what the air is made of. But uh, here's a clip of her saying that at the World Economic Forum. This is a hugely transformative moment in the whole global economy. Uh, I think that right now we're living through a moment which is comparable only to the industrial revolution itself in terms of the energy transition and the way we need to retool all of our manufacturing. That is huge. Canada's strategy, Borgay, is to say, look at these two trends and let's see how we can use them to play to Canada's strengths. And our view is there's a lot that Canada can offer to the world in this moment. You know, we have the critical minerals and metals that you need to build a green economy. We have a lot of clean energy. 85% of our grid is already clean, and we are investing heavily in building more clean energy. We are a country that believes in manufacturing, has manufacturing know-how and capacity. And then you guys spoke about industrial policy. You know, the thing that is new about industrial policy is we are developing our economies, growing our economies at a time when we also need to accomplish the green transition. And I spoke yesterday to a very significant international business leader who is also a big investor in Canada. And he said to me, all the countries in the world need to be very careful that decarbonization does not mean deindustrialization. I thought that was an extremely smart comment, and Canada is absolutely determined that decarbonization for us will mean more jobs, more growth, more manufacturing, and we recognize government needs to play a role to make that happen. That's crazy. And she says those things here in Davos to applause that she would never say if she were, let's say, in Calgary or Edmonton or Fort McMurray or the north of Canada or really anywhere that depends on real industry. I think Christia Freeland is the worst thing about Canada in terms of policy. Justin Trudeau is obviously the worst person in the government and he sets the example. He's the most corrupt. Um, and I, I think though he has a level of personal style that can still win some people over, even though three quarters of Canadians want them gone. But Christia Freeland is one who actually implements the disastrous decisions. Justin Trudeau's not a policy man. I think the World Economic Forum when Klaus Schwab boasted about penetrating the cabinets, remember that clip? Here's, here it is again. 
This um, notion to integrate young leaders is part of the World Economic Forum since many years. When I mention our names like Mrs. Merkel, um, even uh, Vladimir Putin and so on, they all have been young global leaders of the World Economic Forum. Mm -hmm. But um, what we are very proud of now is the young generation like uh, Prime Minister Trudeau, um, President of, Brazil, of uh, Argentina and so on, that we penetrate the cabinets. So yesterday I was a at a reception for Prime Minister Trudeau and I know that half of this cabinet or even more half of, uh, half of this cabinet are for our actually young global leaders of the world economic form. Yeah, when Klaus Schwab boasts about penetrating the cabinets and he mentioned Justin Trudeau, I think what he really meant was Christa Freeland, who's on the board of the World Economic Forum and is the pipeline of terrible ideas from this place directly to Canada. That's why we're here. We came this long distance and we braved the cold and we chased the VVIPs up and down this promenade because believe it or not, Many of the changes, many of the things that affect your life, many of the taxes, many of the regulations, many of the atrocious ideas that you're forced to live with in Canada came from right here in this Swiss town, high above in the Swiss Alps. They were here making plans for you and they were not telling you about it or consulting you or asking you. And that's why we came here to hold them to account. Please go to wefreports.com. I want you to watch every video we did, the long ones, the short ones, the back and forth videos, or the interviews where we were the only ones talking. Look at our work, and if you think it's important, and if you realize that Rebel News is doing more of this accountability journalism than all other media combined, chip in a few quid if you can to help us cover the costs. We'll be back in Canada soon, and we'll have so much more to say. Thanks for your support this past week. And from all of us here in Switzerland and our home base in Canada, to you at home, good night and keep fighting for freedom.